This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Many people have dreams and aspirations of becoming a sport fishing captain. This week, we're lucky enough to hear Captain Fraser's journey on how he did just that. Building relationships with many pros in the game, like Bob LeMay, Jose Wehebe, Tom Rowland, and many more, Captain Fraser was able to piece it all together. Only this week on The Real Guy Podcast. Clear the airwaves. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is the Real Guy Podcast. Fraser Simpson today. Fly fishing with Fraser. Yeah, flying fish with Fraser. Flying fish with Fraser. That's a um, that's a great um, website name. Yeah. Well, I I kind of when I got into it, I kind of wanted to do a little bit of a niche because it seemed like you know there was some other guys doing the fishing there. My North Miami, Biscayne Bay, doing night charters for tarpon and so on. And I kind of wanted to do something that was just a little bit, didn't want to step on anybody's toes. So I kind of kind of went in the fly fishing route. There seemed to be less of those guys at night doing it. So Yeah, there's, um, there's not too many, too many of the fly fishing crowd. But the, um, <clears throat> I don't know if it's just because I want to do it a little bit more. But it seems to me like in the last couple, three years, I'm seeing a little bit more momentum in the fly fishing part of our business. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah? There's a few guys out there I've seen. Um, Bob LeMay was a big one for me, a big influence when I first started. You, you know, know he, was, he was out there quite a bit. I don't know. He's, I haven't seen him so much lately. But Well, I, I remember you asked me if I've heard from him or seen him or anything, and I, and I didn't. But uh, I was thinking about you. A couple of days ago, I'm fishing with Jody Moore down on the beach, doing a little fly fishing yeah. for snooks. And um, your your old dog, Bob LeMay, spoke at the SOB Club okay. last Thursday. Um, I got the full update on him. And Bob's getting up yeah. there. Yeah. You know, he's not, he's not doing the trips. He's kind of slowed way so. down. But I remember when I first met you... Um, that Bob was a big influence on you. Yeah. We used to speak probably like at least twice a month and kind of do like a, I don't know, like a 45 minutes, sometimes even up to an hour, just chatting all about and all different techniques and what we've been seeing and how's he doing it. And, and that was great for the first, I think it was the first couple of years, you right. know? And, uh, you know, I could get somebody for the day trips in the Everglades and pass them along to him. 
and uh in return you know he'd give me some good advice around miami so no bob yeah. is all i mean i, I did, i'm not a really good friends with bob but he used to refer to me and he's always been helpful when i did see him and yeah. um so when you told me that you had that relationship with him, I wasn't too, you know, surprised by it. Thought it was kind of cool. The, um, but I want to go. I want to. I want to. I want to go way back because you're the type. You're the the reason I wanted you to come in for the podcast. And I've known Frazier. How long have we known each other now? It was like 2000. I mean, I remember seeing you around the New River, and when you started doing your, you know, videos around 2005, 6, 2007, when it was like, you know. So we've known each other. Spot stealing and yeah, well, well, over, <laughs> well over fifteen years, and um, Frazier is the story that everybody thinks their dream is, which is why I wanted him to come in the studio and I wanted and I wanted you guys to meet him and, and hear his story, because I can't. I don't know if it, if this happens to you, Frazier, but people reach out to me constantly. And they want to know if they should start being a guide or a captain, or I want to work on a boat, or how do I get started at, yeah. in the industry? And um, so I want you to take us back. I know the story, but the audience doesn't. I want you to take us back all the way to the beginning with your old man introducing you to the water. Because you and I are both fortunate that we had... A role model like that to put us in that direction and the yeah. guys that call and that are interested that didn't have that mm. like you know you, you, what do you tell them like you right. can't replace it so i want you you know i want you to kind of really you know dig deep a little bit and start from the beginning Man. yeah well i was really lucky because well i was born in england uh and my father was really into fishing and i guess from an early age like less than a year old he had his own boat, and he was working in the oil business in uh, in offshore oil drilling on the platforms out in the North Sea in England. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, he used to make his own homemade jigs off on the rigs. They'd get copper pipes, polish them up, fill them with uh, lead with a uh, like a coat hanger through wire and a treble hook at the end, polish them up and be fishing off the rigs, you know, dropping jigs down a couple hundred feet and be catching cod in the North Sea. Um, and they'd come home with a whole bunch of fish. And uh, then I was real lucky because he got me into it. And he'd, on the weekends, I don't, you know, I can remember a little bit from being that early age, but he used to take me out, he'd be shark fishing. And he had a few light tackle records um, on like 10 pound test with with sharks and where, was uh, he, and where was he taking you what part it, of the ocean well at that time that was in uh off of island off of cork um a place called cork and he had it was way back in the day i was probably by then it was three or four or so and i'd be catching mackerel on a sabiki and he'd be chopping in to chop him up and then we put him out as bait but i can remember he'd lock me in the cabin and back in those days the only good shark was a dead shark you know so i mean for records and stuff he'd pull him in and beat him well, as far as I'm, as far as, I'm, as far, <laughs> i'd be in the cabin looking through the keyhole and well, as far know. as i'm concerned i mean even to this day the only good shark <laughs> yeah, is a dead shark yeah. i hate those bastards yeah yeah that's a whole nother story but yeah so i kind of got into it early and uh even on the freshwater side you know he'd get me up at four or five in the morning we'd go out into the uh into the lakes on a little freshwater boat we'd be catching carp and roach and tench all those cold water english fish and we'd be using 
floats and little maggots as bait and chumming and I remember the first tench I got and I was I, I remember that fish and it was we were on a little dock into the middle of the lake and um, you know I saw the bubbles come up around the float and then the bob you know the float went under and when I was fighting that fish and it went on around the dock and kind of around the piling and I was pulled it out and I managed to to get it out of there and I that to me was I just sort of that was like wow it blew my mind you know a little sport to it and that fish was so cool it was just like the best thing ever and now after that I was hooked that was it that fish really got me into it and I was I don't know six seven eight years old right and uh then ever since then you know you kind of go into the bass fishing and everything well take a step back we moved from england my parents got into the diving scuba diving business yeah that's what i want to i want yeah. to hear because not only like very similar not only did my father introduce me to fishing and the sport of it and all but he was in the business of building sport fishing boats and right. your dad was in the business of what scuba yeah yeah so he was in the oil business didn't want to be offshore anymore and he was gone you know on three weeks and off a week and then on so anyway he decided to do the american dream and moved to florida and started a scuba diving shop and we actually the first one was on lake worth road uh in federal uh, and uh it was a little shop and a little boat a little parker 21 with the cuddy cabin and they started doing trip you know my mother ran the shop and my dad would sometimes drive the boat or vice versa my mother was actually is a scuba diving instructor as well as my father so they would take turns ran the business hands-on for doing 15-hour days when they started 18-hour days um so yeah that's how i i got over here and then from there kind of got into just like any other kid if i was doing it was in elementary school then got into bass fishing and then saltwater fishing but yeah that uh the dive shop kind of got into a whole uh, a whole nother story in the 80s um that shop was definitely an eye-opener because <clears throat> at that time in the 80s there was a whole as you know an influx of drug running going on so yeah because of the drug running <clears throat> at the time we didn't really know it but there was a lot of guys frequent frequenting our shop and they all had huge cigarette boats that you'd like so you'd never seen i mean cash all the latest electronics back in those days was just loran some radar but these boats were super fast and built you know i mean it, they were pretty amazing they'd pull up to our shop and they'd come in and be like oh i want uh you know 10 spears you know a couple spear guns and all my tanks and equipment and they drop a huge amount of money in the shop my dad was wow you know <laughs> and there was about five or six guys like that <clears throat> And they said they were all going over. Well, you know, I mean, they, we didn't really ask them, but of course, they go over and the Bahamas, and they'd come back with these huge groupers. I mean, Nassau grouper, black groupers. I mean, fives, tens, just pounds of fish. A couple of them were doing like uh, uh, tropical fish for aquariums as well. Yeah, yeah. And they'd go over there and get tropicals, or and here too. We don't really know exactly where they're going. We figure it was Bahamas. Um, this is all later we find this out anyway, but these guys, <laughs> these guys come up to the shop and I remember this uh, The one gentleman he comes to the shop and he's got his big cigarette boat there And he said he actually he told us he came clean. He said, you know, I got I got caught in the Bahamas and um, And they found some substance on the boat 
and uh, they they threw him in a foxhole on the beach, the Bahamian police. Really? And they put a pallet over the top of the hole. And he said that uh, when the water, the tide came in, he was just up to his neck with his head sticking out the pallet <clears throat> with his, you know, just breathing air. Really? And he said he was terrified. And I guess there was no, I guess they didn't form whatever, I don't know how, they couldn't really pin anything on him, so eventually they let, let him go because couldn't get the, there was nothing there on his boat, I guess, you know, whatever he did with it. So they, uh, so he says, but I tell you what, this is right outside our shop in the middle of the day <laughs> on Lake Worth and Federal. And he goes, I tell you what, I'm never going back there again. And he climbs up on the boat and pulls out 50 caliber machine gun and mounts it on the front. He had a mount made <laughs> and said he's never going back again. And this guy, I'm just standing there going, holy oh, shit. <laughs> right. no, and, there was, and there was a lot of those dudes in the 80s, Palm Beach to Miami, they would get together on the weekends here in Port Everglades, and they would race from Dania Bridge to the port because it's like one long straightaway. And they'd yeah. all hang like a bunch of Harley people, and they'd all <laughs> hang out down there. But you had the you had the corporate dudes, you had the drug dealers, you had the manufacturers, you had guys like your dad who might have been friends with some of these guys that are just having fun on the weekend. But it was such the thing, and people don't realize also that there was like basically no enforcement. Yeah, on, oh, no. on drugs until Bush Sr. flipped out and came in. And it, yeah. Before Bush Sr., yeah, it, it was, was just, you could do whatever you wanted want. out there. Yeah. Yeah. I think at that time there was there was one boat. I mean, they had more money than the than the, the government and the Coast Guard put, you know, had that in the budget. At that time, they had the best electronics and everything, boats they could get. But I remember it was a boat named Blue Thunder, and that came out years later. That was the only boat fast enough to catch them. Um, they used to just outrun them. They'd tell us stories. They'd just be like, all right, hammer down, let's go. And they'd just outrun them. Couldn't yeah. catch them. And back in those days, they just had a helicopter. It wasn't like they were satellites and whatnot, and UJWACs and whatnot back then, I guess. So there was a lot of stories of them going over there doing tropical fish catching, but I guess <laughs> <laughs> spearfishing. But I guess at that time, too, I heard rumors that, you know, those groupers were so big, they'd just flush out the stomachs and shove all the, you know, uh, coke or whatever into the stomach of the fish, and they'd just be unloading it in broad daylight. You know, those big fat groupers. That's and, funny. Uh, yeah, and there was a few. They all had restaurants and whatnot, and, uh, you know, as their... Where they they invited us there, but it wasn't. There was a few people there, but <laughs> no, the amount of money that was laundered it was on A one A between Palm Beach and Miami, you know, over the years. I mean, it, I mean, realistically, I mean, it it supported the whole economy for the longest time. Yeah. Oh yeah. And now it's become corporate and everything. But in those days, it was all Is about it? guys laundering money, starting businesses, yeah. doing hotels, all cash. Oh, I miss those days. <laughs> For sure, but uh, yeah. So then what? Then what happened? Then he went to. Uh, how, how did, he ended up in Costa Rica. Yes, yeah. How did so, that work? So uh, I I went through school and finished up with high school and uh, graduated. And they they uh, they saw another opportunity. They started up a, a scuba diving shop. Well, we all went over to uh, to Europe and did a little European vacation when I graduated. And uh, we went to the Red Sea and went scuba diving there off of Egypt and uh, Sinai Peninsula. And so they went on and uh, 
started another scuba diving shop out there in the Red Sea, which was kind of put me through college at the time. That's what I had wanted to do. Uh, loved the ocean and everything, but just felt like, you know, maybe this was the direction I was going to go in at that time. So, um, but yeah, Costa Rica, that was fast forward some more years. Um, they, there was another opportunity down there. I was getting into the fishing and, and salt water and I got out of school and was doing sales and I used to get invited, uh, by a mutual friend of ours, Aaron Jones, one of the, Aaron uh, he Jones. Was Aaron Jones, yeah, he was a big sales guy, and um, he was doing uh, pharmaceutical sales at the time. And uh, I knew him from, from getting in sales and, and medical uh, devices and stuff that I was trying to sell, doing that stuff. But he used to take, he used to charter and take clients out. It was kind of like a, you know, it was a promo and take them out for a good time. And, um, and he used to invite me along. So anyway, that was going through school, and I'd get into salt water, and I just kind of loved it. And um, I went down to Costa Rica uh, with my father, and we did some fishing in Panama. And we thought, man, this this place is great, you know. <laughs> yeah, you <think>. <laughs> <laughs> And you know, we went to, and I said, well, I'll go back, and I'll, I want to check it out some more. From you know, so I took a rental car, and I drove. I flew into uh, San Jose, Costa Rica, and and uh drove the coast from tamarindo and uh all the way down south to golfito you know kind of checking it out looking and, for and, a good spot and what year was this approximately i think it was probably like i think that was 2006 or seven okay around so, that okay. that time and um it was, it was over los sueños was open at that time and it was it was fairly busy and um and Golfito was was coming along, and Tamarindo, and all those places were all they've been quietly going for years. Really good fishing. So anyway, um, at that time, I was thinking, you know, in the back of my mind, I really wanted to get into into charter and start doing it professionally and get into into fishing. It was the sales wasn't really doing it for me. It was my heart wasn't really into it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I pretty much uh, jumping around a little bit fast forward and pretty much sold sold everything put the rest in storage and i moved down there and got an apartment you moved and, to what listening is uh costa rica yeah i went to los sueños um and i was actually living in herador up from herador bay um down there in haco near near haco mm -hmm. and i got a little apartment there and started working as you know a mate and um my father actually came down later and he got it some property there and a house and everything. So you actually opened up the doors in Costa Rica for your dad to come in. Kind of, yeah. I, did, I, was, I didn't realize that. I, I was the scout. Yeah, I kind of scouted it out. Oh, cool. And um, and kind of put everything together and bank, bank accounts and whatnot kind of got established. And then uh, my father came in and he he kind of went from there. And but all that time I was I was working um, on on a thirty two lures down there. Um, which uh, my father actually had. That was his boat. Um, but he had a uh, Costa Rican captain there named Chanu. Really great guy, a lot of knowledge. And I worked with him as the mate going out pretty much every, you know, every day when I was there. And um, after, I guess, the season ended, I'd come back to uh, Florida. But um, Back then when you were fishing with Chanu, what were you guys targeting in, how many, you know, what kind of work were you doing with him? 
So, yeah, we were just – his whole game was sailfish. Okay. And, um, man, I tell you what, we would put together – uh, you know his spread i still run it today it's awesome um and it, it would be targeting sales uh naked ballyhoo um swimmers you know a little chin weight um with some big teasers up on the bridge um for the occasional marlin with some drop back baits but it was all uh bait and pretty much bait and switch all right up next to the boat the outrig the long riggers had you know circle hooks in them but the shorts we we would uh tease and switch and a man, I'd sit on that covering board, and that was my favorite position, just on the teaser, on the squid chain, teasing them up, and then taking them onto the onto the little uh, flat line, mm -hmm. you know, and dropping back. And that, oh man, I could spend all summer doing that, you know. Yeah, yeah it I was bet. it was <laughs> it was the best, man. It was that talk about a high that day. That was incredible to see the the sail come up like that, take the bait. So, uh, man, at that time. I, when the season was done, I'd come back and I'd, I'd work a little bit and I had to, you know, get another job and start working back in South Florida a little bit. But at the, when the season was back on, I'd take Friday nights, take the red eye, like on Spirit from uh, Fort Lauderdale, get back into San Jose at like two o'clock in the morning, go straight to the boat, sleep on the boat, <laughs> get a few monsters and be at it by like six o'clock and be fishing all for the next three days on a long weekend you know, working. So I, I get, and, and for me, it was kind of the plan because I don't think there's anywhere else, uh, you know, between that's local couple hours flight that you can get so many bites and so much experience in a short amount of time with like 15 to 20 bites or, and right. teasing up fish. You can get certainly a ton of, uh, of knowledge there in a short time. So it didn't take long to get, you know, a lot more experience than you would sitting here at ADOC which I've done. <laughs> when right. I first started, I, I was on ADOC. Yeah, you spent a little time down there. <laughs> hey. You know, so it's a kind of rite of passage is where, you, where we all start. Well, but, you got, you know, ADOC is kind of like, I don't know, I, I always call it like a university. Whether you spend, you know, one semester there or you spend your whole career there. Yeah. People go to ADOC, whether they're yeah. working or they're just there. It's just, it's part of the industry to me. Yeah. And it's a shame that it's gone. But that's another whole story. That's a whole other story, yeah. But yeah, yeah. So, um, so that lasted, uh, I guess, a good part of eight, nine, to ten, almost ten years, something like that. So, and when, it, when it, did you start with Sanu? Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. And learned all that stuff. How old were you? Um, man, um, well, that was, I think that was seven and eight. 2007, 8, 9, 10. It's not that long ago. but It's getting to be kind of long ago, almost yeah. 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, 16 years 12, ago? 12, 13, 14 in there, yeah. All right, all right. Now, because it's, like, you know, it's, it's trying it, to, yeah. Trying to give everybody kind of the scope because you're a lot, you're a lot younger than most of the guys in your position, put it that way. Um, most of the guys in your position 
that you're at that age are still kind of get getting the experience that you were able to get 15 years ago put it that way yeah yeah i mean not too often um do captains get a chance to work with somebody like the guy in costa rica put in that type of work and then get rewarded for it and then you understand the whole process of it yeah yeah i mean like working down on a dock or whatever you know your reward was if you could get somebody to mount a fish yeah you know yeah mean? yeah that kind of thing yeah, it didn't it didn't take long um, to kind of figure out that I needed to make a, a, a it wasn't easy a significant jump. I mean, I had to it wasn't easy. I you know I had to come back and um, my first attempt you know like before my father got started down there it was you know it wasn't easy I'll tell you that. But a lot of bumps and bruises yeah, along the way, huh? Yeah, but definitely worth it in the end. You know, I wasn't making a ton of money. But I knew the experience was well worth it. It was going to pay off. It's just like anything else. You got to go to college, or or you got to put the time in, as they say in this business. We got to put some time well, in. Well, Captain Norm says, "Got to put in your dues." It's it, you know. <laughs> so, See Captain Norm's Blue Marlin the other day. Yeah, I did. Yeah, that's that's everybody's still celebrating for Norm. That's awesome. <laughs> that's good shit. I mean, going out there and targeting it too. That's, no, that was that was we're all happy about that. That's that's like you know hitting the home run in your own you know ball field and all the locals are freaking freaking out heck yeah you know <laughs> well i want to i want the audience to understand i mean dude you're working on a yeah so 100 or 90 foot yeah 20 million dollar boat yeah you went from yeah. fucking being with sanu in an industry that you never were in before, and now you're on the 100-foot boat and you fly fish for tarpon at yeah. the same time. So, 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 yeah, you got a lot of shit to go over here, Frazier. <laughs> yeah, so how did all this go about? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I quietly kind of, once I came back and, and uh, from Costa Rica, I, I, I quietly started working on sport fish in the, I guess the, first one was a 46 I, I met a guy down in costa rica and a good friend of mine still to this day it was kind of like my first client and he asked me when i was down there he's like hey you know can you take my boat down to uh from tampa all the way down to to the saint thomas in the virgin islands so i was like yeah sure no problem and um so uh so so he was really my first sport fish kind of introduction so to speak you know as far as running a show as going international so i took that boat down from to tampa across lake okeechobee and the the canal there and all the way down through bahamas and dominican republic that's old man we got down to turks and caicos everything was still good but now we're going to cross the mona passage which is that's you know, where the big boys are yeah across the dominican republic and uh you know it was it was fantastic uh going across there because you can see all the humpbacks that time of year the humpback whales are all breaching down there as it would cross in so it was pretty cool but the swell was probably easy 10 12 foot well and, correct me if i'm wrong but the mona pass is pretty much the roughest pass in the caribbean correct yeah you get some currents coming up from puerto rico through the dominican republic and and between those two and then you've kind of got you know you you got the whole gulf stream currents and all the currents kind of collide in there and then you got the prevailing winds that are usually southeast right there. So it kind of gets kind of squirrely. That was one hell of a trip. And that was your maiden voyage is 
actually being a pro was to get paid to take that boat from Tampa to where the hell were you going? St. Thomas. To St. Yeah. Thomas. And, all right. That's a so, heck of a way to get your feet wet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had run some the 32 and the other boats before that and some 40s, you know, on day trips, but really, um, and done some smaller trips back and forth from the islands, but that was the first real major one. Pretty major. Yeah, that yeah. was pretty major. But I Especially did a lot. In, in those days, you know, like today, these boats are so freaking crazy, which we're going to get into soon. But, you know, doing a trip like that today, eh, it's still a big trip, but it's not the the undertaking that it was 15 years ago. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I kind of, that was like one of my first freelance jobs. And I kind of was really looking to get back in more in the sport fish. It just kind of seemed to be I was getting pulled that direction. Although deep in my heart, I always wanted to be a tarpon guide. To be really? honest, I always wanted to be a tarpon guide. I just didn't know how to do it because it seemed more like a uh, some sort of technical, difficult, self-employed type way to work. Whereas it was, you know, I had a lot of uh, risk at that time to be able to just jump into it, buy a skiff, and be like, okay, open up shop. For me, at that time, I felt like it was. So I kind of felt like the offshore kind of pulled me off in that direction. But in deep inside, I wanted to be a tarpon guy. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. So I, so I put, uh, I started looking for a sport fish job on the, online, you know. And I put out letters like you were talking about, you know, earlier in the conversation. You were saying you get a lot of emails from guys wanting to start up. You know, all those years back in those, those days, I did the same thing. And it's funny because I contacted, you know, some of the big TV guys because I didn't really know anybody. You know, I'd worked on ADOC, got a few names. But I was like, what about these big guys, you know, like. You know, uh, Jose Wahebe and, uh, you know, Tom Roll and all these guys that have TV shows. So I emailed them all and I asked them uh, how to get into the business. And uh, and and Mark Sosin was another. I think George Poveromo, all those guys, you know, that you see on TV. I think one of the they all replied back with some really good information. And I think, you know, it's a shame I lost it, but I had the email from Jose and uh it was the longest email out of everybody it was probably i mean a couple pages long three pages really? long so he took some, some oh, serious really time and time. energy and tom did too tom roland did he write back a great email too but since my computer crashed i lost all those which would have been a gem to find back and you know to look uh, back on but yeah it'd be cool we'd read them right here on the podcast yeah. that'd be cool yeah tom was pretty cool and and uh jose especially you know uh with some good advice there you know that uh you, I took the to heart, you know, um, later on. A couple good points there. And, and that's kind of pretty much how you and I met. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I saw you on the video online, and I was watching you your YouTube videos back in the day. Yeah, no, you reached out to me. You asked me some question or whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah. What do you think about this or whatever? And uh, Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. That was... Yeah. But... Well, have they... Took the oh, time yeah. out and, and sent you a nice letter and or email and kind of was, was oh, encouraging yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, he there was a few points I remember. It was you know, the first one was you know never burn anybody. Put in your time before you take any paying customer. You got to, you know, put in years. He told me basically years before you know your charts, know your spots, a lot of details in knowing your craft before you ever take a paying customer. I remember that was like one of the first things ever. I mean, I'm a little older than you and kind of, you know, watched it a little bit. But, yeah, that used to be like gospel. Like yeah. never 
charge somebody like even as a mate yeah i mean i know mates that have you know worked two three four years before they ever took a dime because that was kind of the way you did it yeah i kind of wish that was the thing today because it's people start this business today they open up a website and they're uh and they go to something like fishing booker and they're doing trips tomorrow and not that i really give a shit like like as a com, com, you know competition you know competitive thing yeah but i feel bad for the poor bastard that hires them. yeah yeah mm-hmm. i i see it a few a little bit more now in the last couple of years you see some guys that just kind of show up and you see them just i mean they're catching the hell out of the snapper but i hope that's what they told their clients they would be catching you know no, <laughs> just little them. baby snappers i mean if it was a hell you know getting a rod bent but i just hope those people that's what they want to do you know but yeah so there was some good advice there another one was which i was keep journals you know keep real specific logs and journals of what what you've done and your times and your places and uh which i did but i found you know with the laptop crash i i kept them all digital at first where i should have probably kept them on paper so ever since like i think 14 or something like that i keep them all in paper now pretty much i <laughs> So you've been you you, so, you actually keep a log keep tides a, moons all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, tide moon the time, and uh, and I keep it on paper pretty much for the most part. The important stuff, like when my time in Costa Rica, I kept on paper, and some of the major stuff here. You know, like when I say major stuff, I mean like marlin or Cabrera snapper bite or you know some tarpon, some snook, but I keep it all on paper. I figure if it's good enough for the ancient Egyptians and lasted, it <laughs> good yeah. enough for me. Yeah, it's definitely a failsafe, you know. But I don't know. I I I kept a log, a pretty detailed log for a long time. And now that you know, it's probably been 15 years since I trashed it because I was looking at it and I'm like, you know, okay, this makes sense. This makes sense. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't hold true anymore, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I think what was happening is, so I, so I, I, I used to do that. I think a lot of guys used to do that. They, they, they keep the log. But I think what was happening here in Florida is you could keep that log, but you're fishing in a resource that's diminishing every year. Yeah. So I think what was happening is the log was only so good because he yeah. went from, you know, a really strong fishery to a fishery that's still good, but you better be strong. This fishery's not going to bail you out anymore. Yeah, and I feel feel like with the pressure too. Now I'm put like in this last past year, I'm pushing the spots that I haven't never fished before. You know that I'm looking for places that, are un you know, untouched because there might be a guy or two guys on the other spot. So you're going out looking for totally new areas. So it there is really no no log you've got an idea you got all the ingredients there you got current and bait now, you know now frazier's one of the few dudes i got about four guys that I actually talk to during the work season we're you know we're just fishing every single day and you know uh frazier's in my network i was telling frazier this year that we're going to really change up the way i fish down in miami especially in the winter now bridge fishing was always kind of like the thing to do in the winter in miami and I'm not saying that it's not the thing to do anymore, but it's not the bridge fishing that we experienced 10 years ago. We we're like in the George Gods TV show where you can go out yeah. and get, you know, literally 30 bites in a night. Yeah. And you could kind of count on getting 10, 15 bites in a single night. 
well the bridge fishing isn't that good anymore and as I'm watching the bridge fishing start to fade I'm thinking to myself all the things that I do every place else but down in Miami and this was going on for me anyway for like three years and I was fighting myself you know and I like finally this year I, d I made the change and was able to keep the numbers up not have to do bridge fishing there was nobody around me no guides nobody knew what the fuck I was doing and I'm so glad that I made that adjustment yeah you know what I mean yeah. which anybody that's been around and wants to be around you pretty much have to do at this point yeah yeah there's a bit, I think there was a couple of YouTube videos that, that were out and I think there's so much pressure on certain spots those bridges are just getting getting hammered well, there's a lot of pressure on the spots more than ever, and there's less fish on the yeah. spots more than ever. What the bright side to the last, especially this year and and last year too, but the shrimp runs have been big. Yeah, like we have pretty decent shrimp decent. runs again. Yeah, you know that because that was fading. Yep, it was. That was fading, and then this year, I don't know. We'll see what happens next year, but yeah, there was a couple. Yeah, the last couple of years, it was pretty good. Some good nights. Mm -hmm. Some really good nights. Yeah. Well, it's kind of going back to what you were saying before. You were asking me about getting into the sport fish, but um, I started to learn, uh, you know, getting into the, from the 40s and the 50s into the bigger boats um, and the offshore boats right here in Fort Lauderdale. So, um, you know, I was online going back to that, looking for, looking for work, looking for the next step. And um, I managed to get a job on a 65 Viking in 01 right here in Fort Lauderdale. And um, I actually quietly worked that for, uh, for like nine years. And it was totally private. Can't really, there's, I've got some good memories and some experiences, but can't really talk about them because of my confidentiality agreement, but. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the. Um... But quietly, that's why I quietly kept on working, put my time in. And that was full time? Yeah, full-time, yeah. Okay, so it was your full-time on the 60 Viking for nine years. 65, yeah. And we didn't fish a lot, but we we fished enough, and we're, the, I learned that boat inside and out. Like, you learn the boat, you learn how that, I mean, you get a lot of experience from it, so I stuck with it for a long time because I knew it would pay off. Right. Um, and then, you know, after that, uh, I, I went on to... Uh, a 2018 92 92 viking right yeah yeah and i learned everything about that boat for a couple of years now that was the same owner moved up or yeah, that was same, a different same, same owner, owner moved, moved up. up so he moved up from a 63 65 65 to, to 92 92 all right yeah i, I remember this and that was a big yeah then then you start people started to notice there was a few yeah, and I started to see you around, too, a little bit then, too, more often. Well, plus, that was one of the first of the big Vikings. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember, because I was watching you deal with that boat. Yeah. And I was like, man, like, that's a lot to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot. It was definitely, uh, that's a lot to handle and a lot of work. So, um, yeah, I managed to get, from that boat, I now picked up a new build, um, a new Viking uh, with a new owner, and that's a that, and that's a 2022, a 68. So I went back down, and it's just fantastic. That boat is amazing. So that, amazing boat. So that brings you up to today, present. today's present. Yeah. Okay. 
which is which is perfect transition because this was the next direction I was going in. Fraser, a lot like myself, married, has a family, and is trying to keep head above water living in, in South Florida. Yeah. Being a fishing captain, being a fishing guide. Um, so, congratulations on uh, your kid getting married. Oh, uh, yeah. Your family yeah, yeah. man now and all this stuff. When I first met Fraser, he didn't have all this stuff going yeah. on. So, explain to the audience, like, t- in today's present, okay, just since the beginning of the year, because you get the, on the new Viking, okay, you're still trying to do, be a, a tarpon guide. Yep. But you're raising a family here in, in South Florida in the in the juggling act that it takes yeah. in order to be a fisherman and do that. Yeah. It is, it, I actually have kind of paced myself to really, to really love it. Uh, you gotta, it's a lot of hours uh, to make it all work. Um, I took that boat uh from construction to watch the actual build up in new gretna so i started working with the with the guy when it was in construction um flying up there once a month overseeing the build which was great because you get to see take all the pictures where everything's at before it actually gets in the water but yeah um when it came out you know we uh didn't take long of course the owner's excited everybody's excited to get going so we'd go to bahamas for you know a couple weeks first first uh first of the year new year is over there in the bahamas doing some wahoo fishing but i'm still doing my charters in the evening the tarpon guiding right which i had started when my son was born because i wanted my wife to stay home with him look after the baby and and uh you know take care of him so i started tarpon fishing at night as well as a full-time day job working on the viking kind of make ends meet here you know mm-hmm because um, I have a big, you know, it's a pretty big nut to crack every month when you've got a house and everything else and all the, all the things that you want to have a balanced lifestyle, you know. Um, so anyway, so yeah, it's definitely a lot of work. I mean, I've... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When I, fortunately, I have you, you know, around as well. So if I get phone calls while I'm in the Bahamas for fishing, I can pass them along to you and things work out really well. well you know, yeah. yeah. And it's, <laughs> it, it, it's awesome because, like I said, I got about four dudes that I actually keep up with. Um, Frazier, you know, having the, the, the Viking to deal with, I mean, he can not a big deal for him to disappear for you know three weeks at a time yeah and he doesn't necessarily call the shots when he can disappear and when he can't so when he does disappear he's got clients that need to go fishing and he'll and thank you for letting me do it he'll say hey jeff can you take this guy and i make it a point to schedule them take them and and uh it's a heck of a juggling act and um We've managed to make it work, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We've developed a nice relationship. We've, we've we've made it work. I can't thank you enough. I mean, it works out for me. But I tell all the guides the same thing. I says guys that ha- that have to make their living fishing, 
will often help the other guys that have to make their living fishing, fishing. Yeah. because they're the only ones that understand what you have to go through in order to make ends meet. Yeah. And there's so many people out there that look at you, Frazier, and they think, oh, that guy's got it made. He's got the dream job. He, all he has to do is fish and blah, blah, blah. And what they don't understand is the last 20 years of yeah. busting your ass. Yeah. And then in order to keep your head above water, having the good job on the Viking and having a good clientele for tarpon, it's everything you can do to keep up with the pace yeah. of South Florida. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like it's a, you know an IBM job where you're going to get a you know 15% increase of uh, pay every freaking year and that kind of thing. That's right. Like you don't even know if you're going to have a job. Yeah. The following year. Yeah. It's uh, a lot of phone juggling and calendar, you know, planning. Definitely. And uh, you got to be on top of it. You mean you got to be? Uh, it's it's fun though. I enjoy it, but it's a mental. It's definitely a mental game of trying to put it all together. It's not for everybody. No, and you're working. Yeah, you know, easy. I mean, sometimes 15-hour days, easy, 18. Right. I mean, back when I was really going, you know, with the, the 92, there was nights when it was, you know, four or five hours of sleep, you know. Sure. Turn around, do it again, or you know. And, you know, I learned at that time of what I could really physically do working as as hard as i could i mean everything i got staying up late and how many hours you can actually go how many multiple days you can go and how you can do it and still perform Mm -hmm. it so you're not going to get fired you know from your day job or and you really put and you push it and then you learn where your extent is and then what i did was reel it back so you can i learned okay i could do four days is the maximum I can't do four on, one off, then four on. That's a lot. So I do three. I do three on, then a mm. day, and then a day off, and then three. That way, you know, you can get some sleep and well, still get up and kind of, you know, you function the next day. Right. It's not easy. It's not for everybody. But that's what I did for 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 a long time. I still do it now. You know. Well, you get, you know, you find your sweet spot. You exactly. Know, how many trips you can do, how much you can withstand without getting short with the customers and that type of thing. <laughs> because that's the whole other yeah. thing. You know, when you're when you're when you're on the Viking, you're dealing with the guy that owns the Viking and maybe, you know, his guests and that type of thing. But when you're doing the tarpon fishing, you got a new dude. Yeah. Often. You don't know who this guy is necessarily. Their capability or fishing. Right, right. And when you're fishing that much and you're spending that much time on boats it's easy to get short with them it happens to me every tarpon season yeah may comes along you know you did crazy number of trips in february march and april may's coming along you know that you're almost over your mind starts to wander a little bit and it's easy to get short with people <laughs> at the end of the season you know i mean <laughs> then finally you know the july comes and you know things kind of fade no, off I... a little bit and you know you, you brush everything off but there's a time you know and you have to be able to find your sweep spot now you're doing this multiple years and you've been able to manage congratulations on all that so what's, your, what's your sweet spot now with you so, in your position right now with the 92 Viking that you're running, dealing with the family, 
what's your sweet spot as far as I'm going to fly fishing for tarpon? Uh, yeah, so, it, I mean, seven years now that I've been juggling like that, but my sweet spot now on the 68, um, have, I'm still doing the three, three or four days a week, you know, in the evenings. That's kind of the sweet spot now, but, man, it doesn't, where I'm at now, it's pretty damn good. Life is good. Well, you worked that hard for that <laughs> yeah. long. It's nice to hear. Yeah, things are going good. I mean, it's it's pretty nice. Are you done with your the GoPro? <laughs> yeah, the GoPro stuff. The um, and I want to wrap it up with the um, the time you're spending with Little Fraser now, your son. Yeah. How's yeah. That? I mean, oh, I man. mean, I'm watching online, and like you know, my kid's 17, going to be 18 next year. You know what I mean? Yeah. And. I know what you're going through right now, and I'm watching, and it makes me smile. And I'm like, okay, what's he doing with the kid today? Yeah. Talk, yeah. talk to us a little bit about that. Oh man, it's great. You know, you know, every day is just like a little adventure. He's in, into something, but it's, I've got him in the, in the pool at the moment. I've been training him to fish. You know, what I do is I throw a bucket in the pool, and uh, he pulls on that so he can learn good technique. There you go. And I uh, have him practicing casting little out little uh, jigs in the pool. And I actually have him on the fly rod too, so he's learning how to cast the little four weight. He's got the little uh, or the bug slinger from TFO, little like five foot. Nice. I think it is five foot. He's learning that in the front yard, so he's getting better. And uh, he, now he doesn't want to use live bait. He's oh, I want to throw the artificials, Dad. You know. <laughs> right so, on. Right on. But and how how old is he now? He's six now. Yeah. Time's going by quick. It's fast. Did I remember when we first had? I was whoa! All right, Fraser's in for a new thing, but yeah. six years into it, that's awesome. Yeah, be seven in December. That's yeah, great. It's the best journey ever. You know, Dude, enjoy while it lasts. Yeah, and it and it and it gets better. Trust me when I tell you, it gets better. I took Victoria out. Um, I don't know, a month ago now, three weeks ago, and she wanted to catch tarpon on fly. I told her, I said, yeah, it's not, I said, you just don't decide you want to catch a tarpon on fly. I said, now that you want to catch a tarpon on fly, let's go to the park, let's do a little practice, so on and so forth. So she did. 45 minutes here, an half hour there, an hour there, all winter long. Take her out, second cast, and she gets her first tarpon on fly. What? All right. I've been fishing <laughs> all sorts of people. Bill Dance, all sorts of cool people, best yeah. clients in the world gone to the, some of the best places in the world, caught some of the best fish in the world. There was not a better fishing night or a better fish or a better time I ever had fishing than I did just a few weeks ago with my kid watching her catch the tarpon on fly. Yeah. And I know I you're, I, I just, I'm just praying and watching oh, and hoping yeah. that your kid follows suit and, yeah. and just keep doing it because oh. it's nice. Oh, yeah. That's That seems to be sure. the common denominator in... So many of the people that we interview on the Real Guy podcast. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to hear Cope, uh, George Copeland. Mm -hmm. He's fishing with his kids. And now that he's older and slowing down and everything, that's the only thing in life that keeps him fired up. That's his glowing star or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So congratulations with oh, everything. Thanks. Last thing for the audience. Because we don't they know that i do fly fish i don't market it a whole heck of a lot but in the world of fly fishing catching the tarpon on flies like you know the big fucking deal explain to the audience how good 
the fly fishing is between Fort Lauderdale and Miami oh, that nobody really kind of gets. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. I mean, the fishery here, it's, you come back from the Bahamas, you'll be catching all the sailfish and marlin and whatnot, but there's something special when you when I come back and you get that tarpon, and it's such a great fish, the way it fights and the way it jumps and runs and dives. It's it's an amazing thing, you know, and the fishing is so so good here around. It's still good, even though, you know, we say it declined a little bit, but uh, the, the, the bite, the sight fishing, uh, especially on fly, the sight fishing is fantastic. I don't never get a client that's disappointed with it. Right. As, you know, and it's and it's such a nice size. Those fish are such a great size to get started on too. Right. Not heavy, but perfect size. Right. And and that's what I mean. Like when people think of fly fishing for tarpon, they don't think of Fort Lauderdale, Miami. No. And there's not. I've I've fished for them pretty well. Not everywhere, but a lot of places. Yeah. A lot of the places are supposed to be the place to catch yeah. a tarpon. Yeah. None of these places you're catching four or five on a fly right. in a in a given afternoon. Yeah. You know what I mean? But here in Fort Lauderdale, Miami, just three days ago, I got four on fly in one day. Yeah. That doesn't happen in many yeah. places all That's over right. the world. And it happens here twelve months out of the year. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's pretty amazing. There's I've been going on my Ginu too as well in the backcountry, and there's some places that you can't get to that I've been playing with. There's places we go, I'll keep it quiet, but you can get 10 or 15, 20. I mean, small ones, but. Dude, a tarpon on fly is a tarpon on fly, fly, no matter yeah. what. I mean, it's like the best animal ever to catch with a fly rod. Yeah. I don't care what anybody says. They go from five pounds to freaking 200 pounds, yeah. six weights to 12 weights. Yeah. Catch them in the morning, catch them in the afternoon, catch them in before the rain, catch them at night. It's the best fishery in Fort Lauderdale, Miami. Miami. It's some of the best fishing right in the world. It's right here. So if you guys up. want to catch a tarpon on fly, fly fish with Frazier. It's the name <laughs> of the business. He's a great guy. And if he doesn't have time for you, guess who he refers to? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Frazier, awesome. any, anything that I left out that you oh, want to say? Oh, no, it's pretty much covered it thanks for having me appreciate it it's an honor to be here dude real guys on the real guy podcast that's what we do <laughs> run that dog <laughs> run that dog <laughs>